podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir? Splendid, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, um, I've i just watched Liverpool lose 4-3 to Bayern Munich. Uh, Cody Gakpo, Virgil van Dijk and Luis Diaz. <clears throat> if I have a list, I do apologise. Um, it is what it is at the moment. Um, Carl, Liverpool looked really good going forward and couldn't defend to save their lives. An accurate summation of the encounter, um, kind of like a lot of last season, or the, the at least the final third of last season, let's say, where we did remember how to play football again, if not actually uh, do the other side of the job. So this reminded me quite a lot of that. Um, you know, it's pre-season, not going to read too much into it, but I think what we can read into it is that not everything is fixed that needs to be and that we will probably be fun to watch for the neutral again in the early part of the campaign. Yeah, fun for the neutral, but maybe not so fun for the Liverpool fan. Um, it is it is a concern that with a month left, basically, in the window and a week and a half till the next game, we are lacking two players that we desperately need, three for the squad, but two for our first 11, a lefty defender and a holding midfielder. And I think today showed why we're missing those players or or how much we're missing those players. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, it's very difficult now to think that we're going to get Lots more starters, but certainly we expect and it's very necessary that we get a starting six and then an alternative. Because uh, at the minute, you know, even at the end of last season, if you would say we're going to get two definite eights in, who is going to be next in line to start? Well, at the end of last season, it was Curtis Jones, who's now playing in a totally different role. And it's Jordan Henderson who's gone. So even from a depth perspective, more is needed, more options are needed. There's now kind of the two new players starting because there isn't really anyone else to go up against them at this point in time. Um, we do need options from from the transfer market. That's something we'll still expect to do. But I, I remain pretty much convinced that the greater issue with the side at the minute is certain responsibilities and who they fall to and a real clarity of message where everybody has to be in at least three different positions in this team, which is a lot in a team with only 11 people in it. It's a big percentage of the team uh, where they have to be on particular transition moments and defensive moments. Yeah, so Curtis started today in the six. This lisp is going to drive me mad. Um, But to be honest, Carol, I didn't think he was the biggest weakness. I thought Andy Robbo was worse. I think he is a glaring weak point in this team at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I agree. He's not played well. That's, there's no no doubting that at the minute. But again, I'm not... I wouldn't say I'm not bothered by it, but it is pre-season, so I'm not going to read everything into it. I think the bigger thing, again, is you look back to last season, where Robertson didn't do too well was in two or three very specific manners, which don't look like they've changed. And again, you saw even today's goals. Again, you're not going to take everything from this game and assume it replicates into the season. But when it's a continuation of what has already happened, 
you also don't just assume that it's going to change magically on the opening game of a of competitive action. Um, I think I can't remember off the top of my head now whether it was the first or the second goal, but when he's dragged massively across and he's almost sort of the right centre back at one point, yeah. and then nobody is tracking his runner behind him. That's on Robertson, yes, but it's also on at least, like I said, two or three other players because there isn't a clarity of message there of whose responsibility is which runner, who's got to be in each exact area. And if Robertson is supposed to be on that one, someone else is supposed to be on the one behind him who scores. If Robertson's supposed to be on the one who scores, he has to stay there. And whoever's other job is not being done, well, that's on them if the other guy scores. There, there can't continuously be this mix-up in who does what and just everybody react to whoever they're closest to and hope for the best. That That is disastrous over the longer term. The bigger issue for me was Robbo trying to make a challenge in the middle of the pitch. Why are you playing in a central midfield role in that moment, forcing the centre-backs to be left with far too much work to do? And then when they break because you're too late to make that tackle, now you're in a central area having to chase back in that central area and we have nobody at left back. So it's it's not the final action that bothers me. It's the initial action. It's the fact that he starts off by trying to press in the middle of the field. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. This is a big part of the reason why, when we're discussing number eight um, signings for the summer, let's say, why I was so very, very high and keen on a a very defensive first-minded player to come in. Because you make sure that that player is always going to be thinking about the defensive arrangement first. It has the knock-on effect of two or three other players. And at the minute, I, I genuinely don't see that we have any cohesion there at all when possession is lost, when there's a big diagonal over the top of the central midfielders. Um, you know, I, I've not gonna, Like I said, I'm not making a big deal out because I only watched every single minute of preseason this year. So I'm definitely not going to make as big a thing out of it as I would do if we're three games into the season. My issue is, as I say, this isn't new. This isn't just for this preseason. This is something which is still yet to be fixed. Yeah, and basically, I think it needs to be fixed before the window closes in just under a month. So let, let's look at the positives. Who impressed you today? Uh, from the first half, I, I don't necessarily think that we're getting Salah in the best areas, but I thought he was okay in terms of his, his creativity, his little interplay, um, running off the ball, that kind of thing. Uh, he was quite good there. I thought Cody started the match very well. Uh, you know, Goal aside, I think his movement and first touch and getting away from people was pretty good. And Jones, like you said, I, I didn't think he had a bad game for, for the most part. He's obviously much more of a confident risk taker on the ball in that role than we've usually had he's when it comes off it looks really really good and he opens up play really well and I thought Dominic Soboslai playing balls through the midfield little link up plays at times with uh, with Cody dropping deeper that was also something nice to see and after the break Luis Diaz had a pretty good impact um, Darwin had some nice moments at times not not for the whole 45 maybe but you know there were a few decent things to see Yeah, I mean, Curtis on the ball is fine. The issue is, defensively, he's not, he's just not good enough defensively in that role. It's why we saw Bayern able to attack quite freely through the middle of the park. Um, 
like you, I, I didn't really like the areas that Mo was getting the ball, but I thought he did enough uh, to, to, you know, to, to just get those minutes in his legs. Um, I mean, Cody, where do you stand on who starts as the nine against Chelsea? Uh, well, like I said, I've not seen every minute of preseason. I've had Darwin had a, a few good parts of games. Obviously, not everyone's playing every minute and every half at the minute. And I think it was first or second game of the season, I saw one half and he didn't play that half. He came on and scored. So maybe he's been doing well, but I think I would still be inclined to start Cody. I think much of what we saw in the first half lineup against Bayern is what I would expect to be the case, probably with the changes of Matip and Jota. So, Ibu in and uh, Lucho in for yeah. Joel and and um, and Diogo. I I wasn't overly impressed by Matip again today. I, I just think he looks out of his comfort zone in this uh, this shape. I think it's a struggle for him, but it's not overly surprising. Um. What did you make of the youngsters that came on? So, obviously, I thought Ben Doak did quite well when he came on. I thought um, Bobby Clark played well when he was on. Was there anyone else that stood out to you of those younger players that came on? I think um, Ben Doak was probably the standout of all of them. Um I think for younger players, it's very easy to have a, an impact on the ball, especially later on in games when they're still full of sprinting and everyone else is getting a bit ragged and a bit knackered. Um, that's you know part of the fun of preseason, to be honest, because you can give them those opportunities and they can, with their extra energy and some technical ability, get the chance to look really good and boost their confidence. Obviously, it's, again, going the other way where the same players can have a bit of a uh, less of an impact, let's say. Um I don't honestly think that we've seen too much from youngsters who are suddenly going to be propelling themselves into Premier League squads so far. I think Doug was already the furthest forward in that regard and probably Agreed. remains so. Yeah. Um, so, again, not, not going to go massively overboard on what we've seen, but this is still an important part of preparations for getting them into the team. You know, you don't... You remember, like, Kate Gordon coming through a few years ago. It wasn't just, you know, randomly off the back of just being thrown into training. He has a little bit of pre-season time. He has a little bit of training time. He comes in for a squad. Then he'll get an appearance off the bench and so on and so forth. So Doak is probably two or three steps down that path and hopefully we can see him at some point. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to take too much from what we've seen in 20 and 30 minute runouts today. No, me neither. And I do think that... In all likelihood, he'll get time in the Europa League and the League Cup, but probably not in the Premier League game. I don't even think he'll make too many of the squads for the Premier League game. Um, Premier League games, I should say. So I suppose it does just, it is just, it's like you said, it's a journey. It's a journey for these younger players from that academy setting into uh, the Premier League and, and, Doak probably in a year maybe is making more of a case for real consideration in Premier League games. Uh, you mentioned Cade Gordon, and he's obviously been out for, I think, the better part of 18 months. Um, I think he's a- apparently grown about four inches in that time. So we might be getting back a monster, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, one game left in the Pre-season, Carl, and that is uh, Monday night, Darmstadt at Deepdale. Should be um, should probably be the eleven that's going to start against Chelsea, I would have thought. I would expect that to be the case, yeah. Um, again, you might get you know the odd change just to see how someone reacts in what would be normally a first-team environment, um, whether it's... You know, one change in midfield or trying someone else at the six or I don't know, one of the fullbacks maybe, or maybe you give Gomez the sort of right-sided role. I think he's mostly played right back uh, across preseason so far. So, I mean, to my mind, his traits are better than Matip's for that particular 
defensive role, but doesn't really seem to be the case for Klopp at the minute. So by and large, yeah, I would expect who starts in the last game to be who starts in the first proper game. Um, not really sure what other than fitness and cohesion you expect to get out of it for for you know that sort of level of opponent before playing Chelsea, but no, you know, is is what it is. I, I would like to see Joe maybe played as the left back, so that, that it, Gomez. Okay. So that when we move to the kind of Trent inverting into midfield, Joe is then to Virgil's left, and we get Ebu, Virgil, and Joe as a more solid back three, rather than having Andy Robertson pretending he's a left winger and rampaging forward and leaving us massively outnumbered at the back. Uh, Just to see, because... For me, it's a huge problem. That position right now is a huge problem. And I'd like us to address it very, very soon. Mm. Uh, speaking of addressing things, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, like we, we still obviously face the possibility that whoever plays the final preseason game, you sign a six and they get plonked straight in against Chelsea, to be honest. Like mm. if it's that calibre of player and their fitness is up to speed, that can still be the case. And um, so not the be all and end all, but generally speaking, obviously Klopp is a little bit um, cautious usually when we have new signings, but given it is a brand new midfield anyway, even if Curtis starts that role, he's not played there for us before. So it will be a brand new midfield regardless of who starts. Yes. He may just want the defensive instincts in place, even if the cohesion and understanding between players isn't there. Yeah, I think that's very fair. Um, right. Speaking of addressing things, Let's go through the rest of the Premier League and what they've done in this window and what we think they have left to do. So, we'll run alphabetically. Uh, We might as well start with the Gunners. Declan Rice, Kai Havertz, Durian Timber, and potentially David Rea next in the door. Now, Carl, I know you're not a huge fan. I think he's a, a decent keeper, but not an elite level keeper. Does the Raya move make a lot of sense to you? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, what it will do, will give Arsenal two goalkeepers who are capable of being first choice, neither of who I think are all that good. So, you know, does it make sense? Yes, in that it would be a better number two and more uh, equality between if you know, one player is out and the other player starts. Um, that That's an important thing for teams to manage over time. You know, we've all seen Liverpool have a really, really good starter in whatever position it is, but then the drop-off to the number two is dismal and, and it affects things a lot. So from that regard, if Arsenal think that all the rest of the pieces are in place, I could understand it, absolutely. I don't necessarily agree on the individuals involved, but yes, it would make sense from that regard. Are Arsenal actually there, though, where I think all the other pieces are in place? Again, no, not to my No, no, definitely not. Definitely not for me either. And, I mean, I have to wonder, is is David Raya happy to join Arsenal as the backup? I mean, it would be very odd to me, given, let's say, even like Spain national team squad, being on the fringes there, having opportunities to go and play European football for a couple of other clubs who have been linked. I mean, Brentford weren't exactly a million miles away from European football last season themselves. So I I don't think at any point him going to be a number two is a good move, regardless of what club it's at, even if it's mm. Liverpool or Real Madrid, right? It's just not a good move at this stage if what you want is career progression. There was obviously talk of him going to Bayern which could kind of make sense giving Manuel Neuer's age and, you know, the fact that he has had a number of injuries in recent years. You could say, okay, it's it's one year as depth and then you'll become first choice. Hmm. But, I mean, if he's going to Arsenal, he's, what is he, two years older than Ramsdale? And Ramsdale has just signed that new big contract. So... Is he? I I I don't really understand this move 
from from either side. From Arsenal's, I do. Although, if you're going to spend the type of money it appears they'll have to spend on Raya, I mean, wouldn't you be better off looking for somebody who's a clear upgrade on Ramsdale? And if if that's what you're looking for, why have you just given him a new contract? I don't really understand. Like, I, I would say Ramsdale and Raya are about even in terms of ability, but Raya, to me, is more reliable. Like, I know what he's going to give me week after week, whereas I think Aaron Ramsdale is is error-prone and prone to large lapses in concentration and just, you know, a bit too emotional. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's maybe the two-year difference that you're speaking about as well. I think Ramsdale is the better shot stopper when we're talking about dealing with, you know, reflexes and and automations and, let's say, general goalkeeping instinct. But I think Raya is slightly the superior goalkeeper in terms of handling consistency, decision-making. And a lot of that does come down to the mentality. So I don't really see that there's a clear benefit either way. It's more of a trade-off of different, slightly different levels of where they're at. So what else would you advise them to do this window? I mean, what I would advise is to not use Declan Rice the way they're planning to, to be perfectly honest. But if we leave that aside and assume that he is the six and that's all there is, they mm. do still feel they need a better centre-back. That that would be the first thing that I would Dan say. Gabriel. Uh, I mean, at least on par with Gabriel. Definitely that. You need a third centre-back who is just as good as the two starters. So whether mm. Gabriel stays in place and someone else comes in to challenge, or this player can come in for Gabriel, who is, becomes a number three, I think both of those would be sizable improvements for Arsenal, considering how often they had to play uh, let's say Rob Holding, for example, last season said before, I don't mind Rob Holding as a defender, but he's not a third choice centre back for a team who is no, challenging he's, for he's, the title in the Champions League. So I, I do could, think could that be Ben White, Carl? If Timber oh. is the right back, I, I mean, I think he's all right, but I just don't think he's great. I don't think he's approaching elite, and I think if Ben White is a backup maybe you don't get the level of consistency that he is capable of showing when he plays every week anyway. So, you know, that's not something that I've really seen from White because he was obviously first choice when he was on loan at Leeds. He went back to Brighton and became first choice. And last season, he was first choice at right back for Arsenal. So can he still produce that kind of seven out of 10 sort of performance, even if he just comes in two games out of five or six? It's a bit of a difficult thing to answer at the minute, possibly. But then again, I would still want, somebody else there who is very, very good. I think if you move White into centre-back, I don't think you get as as consistent or as good performance, defensively good performance, as you did with Gabriel. That's probably why he was moved right back in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, I wonder if if White's future is backup right-back, backup right-side centre-back and backup holding midfield. Maybe. And then Jakob Kiwar is the backup lefty centre-back and potentially the backup left-back if if Kieran Tierney leaves. Yeah. Um, I still think they're weak at left-back. I, I don't think Zinchenko's particularly good defensively. And I think that midfield three of Odegaard, Declan Rice as the six, and Kai as the other eight... I think that is going to be. I think good teams will make a mockery of that midfield. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff, we've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week.
So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I, I, I agree. I'm actually heading to Arsenal tonight, so I'm hoping that they sort of put out more or less that midfield against Monaco so I can have a good look at it and see exactly how that looks, basically, because it, it feels very, very wrong, but we'll see how that pans out. I mean, Man City and the Community Shield could go either way because that game is just a non-event anyway. And looking ahead, Arsenal start to the season against teams again in terms of transition play and power through midfield is actually quite good, favourable for Arsenal. Like Forest, unless there's been big sea changes, it's much more about their channel play and their, their overlaps down the sides. Crystal Palace are obviously not that progressive through the middle last season. Fulham have a much more direct style and play off the forward man. Even the you know the attacking midfielders like Pereira last season, it was much more about the second ball uh, and playing off the forward for them. So it's probably not until they play against United that we might see central transitions. And that's in September after the window is shut. I wonder whether the good looking start to the season in that area of the pitch might mid-term play very much against Arsenal. Hopefully. Hopefully it will. Because you know, <laughs> Straight after that, they play Everton, which could be anything. I have no idea how they're doing in pre-season. But then they play Spurs, very much going to be central transitions with Postacoglu. Bournemouth, mm. who have already ripped teams apart centrally. Man City, who will anyway. And then Chelsea, who will be again under Pochettino. So could be a really, really interesting run there through September. Yeah, yeah, it, it very much could be. Uh, Aston Villa then, Carl, they signed Moussa Diaby and Pau Torres, as well as Yuri Tielemans on a free. I, I think they still have uh, work to do, but I, I think these are I think these are pretty impressive moves for a team that will be in the, the Conference League. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I was, I was a little concerned at one point that Emery was just going to get the gang together of people who I think are massively overrated when he started to sign, you know, Pau Torres and all that, and... You know, even Yuri Tielemans, I used to like him, but I think he's had a dreadful couple of seasons. So, But in fairness, I think Tielemans, maybe if you take away the circumstance of Leicester's decline, which was woefully fast, uh, Diaby should be a fantastic signing. I think he's a much, much better signing than the same player, type of player, club player that they signed a year ago for not too dissimilar a fee, if I remember rightly. Um, how much did they pay for him? It was it was similar enough, wasn't it? Pretty sure it was. I I wonder what the the partnership will be at centre back, Carl, because they just gave Tyron Mings a new deal, and to his credit, he was quite good in the second half of the season, but. You can't play Mings and Torres, surely. I mean, Guy would rage because it's too left-sided, obviously. But well, Guy would have an absolute shit fit. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, Pau obviously played right side a few times for Spain now because they just have only left-sided defenders available to be picked in the new Spanish uh, national team rules, apparently. Um, so it's obviously a bit of not going to say precedent, but at least a little bit of viewing time for him on that side. It should be Konza still, but maybe even this is going to be a um, you know a bit of a, a return season, shall we say, after injury for um, Carlos, and, and maybe he looks to partnership those two together. Mm. That's my guess: is that it's Diego Carlos and and Pau Torres, and those two names mark my new newly found list, which is great. Um, I I think they still have work to do. I think they could do it one more up front mm. um, to complement Ollie Watkins. I think they could potentially do it an upgrade at right back. Matty Cash is good, but he's inconsistent and he gets some injuries. I I don't really like the left backs that they have, um, but I don't think they'll address that this window. I think they'll probably add one more, and I think that might be them for the window. But all things considered, they're putting themselves in a strong situation to have a go at the Conference League this coming season. 
Oh, yeah, I think there'll be strong contenders for that, to be perfectly honest. Um, I mean, there's, there are a few managers around who who know how to safely navigate two-legged ties with goalless away draws better than our man Unai. So, you know, get a, a run of attacking options in that final third. And I think that they have plenty of them, certainly compared to the teams who are going to be in that competition this season, uh, up until we can obviously see who drops down from the Europa. I would expect Villa to go deep in the competition this season mm. if they can manage the Thursday-Sunday transitions. Yeah, that's that's obviously key. Right, moving on. AFC Bournemouth. Um, Hamid Traore, I, I, I like that. They had him on loan, obviously became an obligation. Kirkes, I really like that signing. I think he's an excellent young left-back. Justin Clivert, I'm less keen on. But, you know, he's a, he's a talented winger. Romain Favre, they brought in. He's now been loaned straight out. I think they need to find a replacement for Lerma as that ball winner in midfield because they're a little bit light and a little bit soft in there without Jefferson Lerma. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised about the Justin Clybert move, I'll be honest. I've, I, I really liked him, obviously, in his younger days, but mm. it just... It hasn't moved. It hasn't worked for him in a series of moves. And at 24, that's quite a, a hefty fee to pay, if we're being perfectly honest, uh, for a player who's underwhelmed basically three years in a row. Yes, so, at multiple clubs. Yeah. So it, it's, I would assume it's got to be something that they've got a really, really clear plan in mind for him. And they think that there is not, not just the possibility uh, of it working, but a good chance to make it really really positive this is a guy who won a couple of uh, Dutch team caps what four years ago now something like that so he's not really kicked on in the way that was expected but <clears throat> I like the uh, bringing in of Jonah Radu from Inter on loan I think he's a really good goalkeeper that that could be a, a very very good um, addition to the squad mm. don't know that he'll start first choice obviously but if, if they need to call upon him I think he's actually a very very good goalkeeper so um, there's a few things there that they can still work on uh, in terms of rounding out the squad. They still feel a little bit like the centre-back area might get an upgrade, but like you say, defensive mid is probably ball-winning-wise what they need most of all. Definitely need a new right-back as well. <clears throat> That's something they're going to have to address. Uh, right-back is not a strong position for them. Uh, moving on then, Brentford have signed Nathan Collins, Mark Flecken, and made the Kevin Shade deal permanent. Um, I really like the addition of Collins. Flecken is a good goalkeeper, but it's an unusual signing for Brentford because he doesn't have resale value. Mm. I still think they need at least one more in defence. And they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do up front with Ivan Tony missing for the next, what, till January. Yeah. So, you know, that that's kind of the biggest need for them at the moment. I feel like the, the forward is going to get solved late in the window with a loan deal by mm. either who hasn't secured a move or who has been edged out by new signings, that kind of thing. I think that's probably one they're happy to wait on and in the meantime work with, you know, Wister, Shada getting more game time because we only saw him gradually coming into the team last year. Um, I, I also would like to see them add a central midfielder because I think it looked a bit stale there last time. Uh, sorry, last season at times. It hadn't yeah. changed in a couple of years now. Damsgaard maybe comes into the side a bit more, but again, without having seen him in pre-season, I wouldn't like to just say, oh, he'll be better this year, because I think he was way off it last year. I don't think he could be worse. So, you know, hopefully him and Lewis Potter, maybe, Keen Lewis Potter, potentially kick on... Um, this season, and, and it's it's almost like they have two kind of new arrivals with those two. Um, yeah, still work to do there for certain. And obviously, look, if, if Harry Kane goes to Bayern, it wouldn't surprise me if Spurs moved for Ivan Tony and just said, right, Richarlison will do until January, and then we get Ivan Tony in. So something to keep an eye on there. Um Brighton continue to be one of the smartest clubs in the league. Uh, Joe Pedro, I think, is a great signing. Bart Verbruggen, I think, is maybe the best young goalkeeper on the planet. 
Igor is a, a talented centre-back. They signed Mo Dehoud. They signed James Milner on freeze. They still have some work to do. I'd like to see maybe an upgrade on Veltman at right-back. And I think they need to find someone for the eventuality that, eventuality that Caicedo leaves. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, my, my big priority here is that they play Eagle all the time because aside from the name, I love the way his uh, uh, defensive style uh, lends itself to being super aggressive. So just get him playing all the time as soon as possible. That's what I want to see from them this year. Um, like a couple more younger players have joined as well this, this summer and I haven't seen all of them play, but really well spoken about in some regards. Adrian Maslow is, is spoke to someone who uh, obviously was watching uh, is teenage years over in Romania and he's, he's very well spoken about. So we'll see if that's a this year breakthrough or just next one kept back and loaned out and given an opportunity maybe once Mitoma or someone like that makes makes a move on. Um, but let's just say the, the, the procession of filling in players doesn't look like slowing down anytime soon. Uh, and we spoke in depth about, you know, the likes of Samiento and a few others who are ready to probably play a bit of a bigger role this year, Buona Nota and yeah. a couple of others. So, and CISO, I think, is going to be a massive player for them this season as well. So, and, and Evan Ferguson should be should yeah. play a lot more this year as well. Yeah, I think they're probably the most exciting team to look out for, um, even without further signings. But I do definitely think that to hit the same level they did last year, they've got to have a really good Caicedo replacement if he leaves. And I'm not really convinced he will do at this point. No, I mean, they seem like they want to keep him. Which is obviously look if they if they can keep him they should keep him. Um, the other one to keep an eye on is Simon Adringa, Adingra, the young winger who spent last season on loan in Belgium. Uh, he's been very impressive in preseason, so do keep an eye on him. I think they have him lined up if if Matoma were to leave maybe next summer, but I think Adingra will play quite a bit this this season. Um, they just recruit really well. Moving on to Burnley, uh, Zeki Adumni from Basel, James Trafford from Manchester City, the goalkeeper, Jordan Bayer, Dara O'Shea, Michael Obafemi, Luca Colisho, who I don't know, uh, Nathan Redmond, Lawrence Figueroa, and Jakob Brun Larsen in on loan. I think it's good. I, I do wonder if they'll have enough goals in that squad because, you know, Nathan Teller was so important last year, they've lost him. There's a lot of options there in attack. There is. There is. But can they get goals out of them is is, is the yeah. doubt for me. I um, think centre mid is a big thing to upgrade still. Like, at, at level-wise, I think Jack Cork, Josh Collin, Josh Brownhill, it's not immense, even if you add in a couple of players like Samuel Bastian... I think another one there is pretty important to bring into yeah. the highest standard. I, I want another centre-back in as well, personally. Um, I, I thought last season, um, Harwood Bellis was so important. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, magboxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I'd want him replaced as well. Um, 
But look, of the three who've come up, they're definitely the ones showing the most ambition right now. And I think they've come up as the best team. They were one of the better championship teams I've seen last year. So I think they're they're shaping up quite well. Chelsea then, Carol. Mm-hmm. Nkunku, Jackson, Ugo Chukwu, Angelo. It's it's quite um reserved for Chelsea window, considering what they've done the previous two. Yeah. But, um I don't think they've actually addressed like the Nkunku deal they had done in what in January. So we've known about that for a long time. Nicholas Jackson does is a very talented player. I just don't know that he's the goal scorer that they need right now. I think he's more a son than a cane in a in a potch setup. Hmm. They haven't addressed their goalkeeper. They haven't addressed their ball winner in midfield because Ugo Chukwu looks like he will go on loan. Now, they are also looking to bring in Axel de Sassi from Monaco, who's obviously a good centre-back. I, I still feel like there's quite a lot they need to do. Agreed. And, I mean, like, de Sassi, I think, is all right. I don't think he's elite. But if I'm talking in a more rounded way, then you're looking at partnering de Sassi and Badia Chile, who do have an understanding because they played together for a couple of seasons at um, Monaco. But also you're looking at a partnership, which I didn't think was anywhere near elite at Monaco. I think individually they have really, really good traits, but there's work to be done on both of them from an individual level and a lot to be done from a an overall cohesion, positional consistency level for two, you know, still relatively uh, younger defenders. And then mm. when you add in, Obviously, Levi Colwell is there. That's another young defender. You're kind of looking at three who are not yet of the level you hope they will be eventually, plus one very, very old defender who has been elite, but is on the other side of that uh, arc, let's say, uh, in Thiago Silva. So I think this is looking more like a, a project again rather than just a scattery rebuild. Probably that's for the best that they have Pochettino in because he'll oversee it with a bit more authority and... I think consistency in his message as well from a coaching perspective. But yeah, there's definitely bits to come there. I think one of my Chelsea supporting friends says there's been a lot of um, excitement over Ian Matson in preseason and, and that he will possibly get a go, be it sort of the left-sided attacking role or lefty wing-back sort of role that they've been having. So maybe there's bits to, to see there in terms of a couple of players coming through. Cesare Casada, who you've mentioned as well. Um, but overall, I think we're still waiting for Chelsea to pull the trigger on one or two of the biggest sort of ones, like Caicedo obviously being the big one that they've been linked with all summer. But mm. Also, I would say when I came back a couple of weeks ago, I said I was going to have to play catch up a little bit. And I'm in that point now where I think I'm there and then I suddenly see a transfer that happened while I was away and I'm like, oh, I had no idea about this. Today is one such, and that's Aubameyang having left for Marseille apparently. So there you go. had no idea about that one. Yeah, Marseille have had an odd window. We should do it. We'll do a show, I think, when we go around Europe and pick out <clears throat> some of the clubs that we we like the moves from. Uh, Crystal Palace, Carl. They signed Jefferson Lerma and lost Wolf Zaha. So, I mean, Lerma, I think, is a decent get. I think Zaha is a huge loss for them. I think they've got a lot of work to get done. They need they need a right back. They need a Zaha replacement, and you could certainly argue they could do with a, a more prominent goal-scoring number nine, even though I do like Edouard. And I quite like Mateta. I think he's he's useful, but um, I, I think they've got a lot of work to do. I reckon just stick Jefferson Lerma straight in for Zaha and see how it goes. I reckon stick Lerma in for Dekure and sell Dekure to us. <laughs> and I think I think everybody wins in that scenario. Um, our friends across the park, they signed Danjuma on loan and Ashley Young on a free. Mm. Now, Dizzy. they've been linked with a couple of other moves. Um, I, I, I don't really... 
Yusuf Trimethi is a good player, a very talented young player, and they've apparently agreed a fee for him, or or they're close to agreeing a fee for him. But I don't see how he really helps them at this moment because he's very talented, but he's 19. He's a six foot four centre back. I don't know if you can play him and Calvert Lewin up front. Is this Calvert Lewin insurance, do you think? Maybe. Um, I think I think I'm past the point where I would be relying on Calvert Lewin anyway, to be perfectly honest. Mm. Um, I've you know had this conversation a few times. It's not just the fact of the injuries, it's the fact that you are talking about a player with effectively one good goal scoring season behind him, which came for a very, very specific set of goals scored in very, very similar fashion. And unless you're going to make sure that his service is geared exactly towards that, I don't think you've got anywhere near a guarantee of replication. So I think it's important for them that they have other methods of goal scoring because they were dismal in the final third last year. Um, And, you know, they should have a little bit of money. I mean, I believe they got the Moise Kian money in this summer. Uh, And then Ellis Sims has gone as well. So um, Niels and Kunku. Thought he was like someone we were going to see for about five years on the trot, it felt, but never really got the opportunity. So he's gone as well. Yeah, that's a bizarre one. Don't really understand what went wrong with that move because he was very, very talented and a big, uh, a big uh, prospect when they when they nabbed him. Um, I, the thing with, with the Tremetti deal is I've watched quite a bit of sporting because I, I like to watch Ruben, Ruben Amarum's team play, and he is definitely talented. And like you said. You can't really rely on Calvert-Lewin. But my my question would be, is their first 11 good enough to be going and spending significant money on a backup? I don't know that it is. I, like That's not going to be a cheap deal. That's going to be somewhere in the 15 to 20 million range. And I look at a defence that could absolutely do with at least one addition. Uh, I look at a midfield that could absolutely do with one addition, and I look at a front line that could do with someone to play on the opposite side to Dan Juma because it looks like Damari Gray is on his way out the door. And I'm just very confused by the whole Everton thing right now. I mean, the other the other possibility is that he's coming as first choice, to be perfectly honest, because like I said, there's no guarantees on Calvert Lewin, form, fitness, anything else. And someone along the way is going to lose out on signing Harry Kane because they can't all have him. And if that is the case, Calvert-Lewin is potentially the fallback option for some of them. And that they're is not going true. To, they're not going to get the money for him that they maybe would have done a year ago when there were a few teams sniffing about for, what, 60 million or whatever it was, mm. ridiculous. So even if they do let him go lower cost than that, maybe this is their own earlier insurance, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, it could absolutely be. Uh, right, Fulham, they have signed Calvin Bassey from Ajax. I do like him. Um, he's a little bit raw. And Raul Jimenez in from Wolves. Now, Raul Jimenez has not been the same player since the bad head injury. And <sighs> he struggles to score goals these days. Now, he can be a fine backup for you. But if Mitrovic is leaving, they're going to need another striker in the door. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very much agree. Otherwise, you're going to put yourselves in the position that Wolves were in themselves and having bodies but no you know, capability, I think we'll, we'll say, in terms of goal scoring. He was so important for them last season. They did probably fare a little better without him during that long suspension than might have been the case. But, yeah, you still need someone who's a lot more prolific than Raul Jimenez has, has ended up being. Um, yeah, not really necessarily through his fault, but it still is the case. I think he's fine as a, you know, basically for what Vinicius offered last season. This is probably equal or maybe a bit better in terms of link play. But yeah, you need goals elsewhere. Right, we can skip Liverpool. Let's go to Luton Town. They've signed Ryan Giles, Tahit Chong, Mads Anderson, Marvellous Nakamba, Chidozi Ogbena. Issa Kabore, and Guy has just informed us that they have agreed a fee for Thomas Kaminsky, the Blackburn Rovers goalkeeper. Um, this 
Do you know what this reminds me of, Carl? This is a Norwich City window where you come up and you build a team for the championship so that when you drop back down, you, you're a really strong team. I mean, let's be honest, for Luton, this makes all the sense. Mm. I, I think that absolutely has to be their approach because they are, there is such a distance. You know, there's, there's no disrespect, no taking the mickey of what they, what they are as a club. They are so much smaller. They do have to build in a slightly different way to, let's say, a Sheffield United coming up. That's that's just what it is because they wouldn't have expected to be here for, for starters 12 months ago. No. And, and you know the, the finances on offer will make such a such a difference to them in uh, infrastructure terms and in planning terms and in probably um, sustainability terms of the next couple of seasons of building. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I agree. And like they've also got a lot of work to do on the stadium, so you'd imagine a lot of their money will go towards the up, upgrades that are necess- uh, necessary at Kenilworth Road. Um, it looks like Guy is informing us that um, Manchester City have agreed a, a fee for Josco Gvardiol at 90 million euro. Now, it is coming from Romano, um, who a couple of weeks ago told us that a fee was agreed and that a medical had already taken place and then said that Leipzig was very upset about the leak when he was the leak. Uh, the Athletic are also reporting it too. So looks like City will land Josco Guardiol, obviously a very talented player, but we'll get into that on the next show. We'll, we'll leave it at Luton for today. And we'll be back later in the week, all going well. We'll do City, United, Newcastle, Forest, Sheffield Sheffield United, Spurs, West Ham and Wolves. Um, of the clubs we've done so far, Carl, who's, who's had the best window in your view so, so far? far? So far. Um, maybe Brighton and Aston Villas makes most sense. I think Chelsea's is actually good in terms of quality of player as well, um, but they still have a bit to do in quite key areas. So I wouldn't say that it's overall good just yet, just because of the scale of you know, how important a uh, first choice goalkeeper is, for example. That would be an ideal thing to sort out, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I'd go for either Brighton or maybe Brentford. Yeah, I'll I go think for Brighton. I- I think I'd go Brighton as well. I, I just think their signings make so much sense. I, I think Dehoud is a really good get for them. And if he can get back to his best form, he, he'll prove important. They've got a lot of young players that will get more opportunities. I really like the Verbruggen get. I think he's I think he's gonna be a fantastic goalkeeper. Um of the clubs we've talked about. I believe there are two who've made full-time appointments as managers. Um, one of them obviously been Palace making Hodgson permanent after he'd been caretaker. The other is Iraola, who we've talked about before. I think he fits into what we've seen with Bournemouth as well. And I think when you factor in him, along with uh, with Kirkes and with... Um, with the the permanent deal for Traore, you mentioned the goalkeeper they got as well. I think the gamble on Clivert is worthwhile. Overall, I think they've had a really good summer as well. And I think they've put themselves in a, in a good position to go into the season, fancying their chances of staying up. Um, so I, I'd, give, I'd give them a, a bit of credit as well. Last thing before we go, Carl, <clears throat> it has become official. Uh, Jean-Louis Buffon has retired from professional football at the age of 45 years of age. Uh, he made his debut in the 97-98 season, Carl. How would you rate Buffon historically? Is he the best keeper you've seen? Is he top two, top three? What's your overall memories of who, in my opinion, 
is the greatest keeper to ever play the game? Um, oh, that's the hard one. I mean, for, for longevity, for time actually at the top and consistency at his peak, I don't think there are very many at all who can match that in the modern era. Um, as usual, very difficult to go cross-generation and say how he compared to people beforehand, certainly before matches were visible on such a scale as they are now. But for my viewing, the only ones I could think of who were good year after year after year to such an extent that Buffon was would be Peter Schmeichel, um, Jan Oblak. But again, you're talking of a much, much lower period of time so far compared to Buffon. Uh, a couple of the Italian goalkeepers who he sort of spanned the divide of, you know, who we've spoken about before, Pagliuca and Toldo and Baruzzi and all the rest mm. of them. I think they were of a level, but they didn't have the the, the length of time at, at their peaks that he has at his. You know, I, I don't think, for example, you would say, pick whichever one of the three you want. I'll say Toldo because he was my favourite of them. I don't say I don't think that there was an enormous difference in ceiling, but no doubt that Buffon maximised far more what he achieved and where he was and how much impact he had on the game. Um, I, I think it would be a very big call to put anybody above Buffon. Like I say, it would have to be a serial winner for a long period of time, someone like Schmeichel, because of where he played and because of the dominance of the team that he was in. Um, maybe Oliver Kahn would be the only one who immediately yeah. springs to mind of the same sort of calibre and the same sort of just non-stop winning but they would be few and far between. Yeah, I mean, there was goalkeepers that kind of had exceptional highs, but not for the same length of time. Like, do you remember when Rusty Rekbar just became one of the best keepers in the world for like two years? Yeah. And then he had back problems and it all went away. Uh, Vitor Bahia was a favourite of mine when he was at Porto. Uh, another one who, like Rekbar, went to Barcelona and it ruined his career. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that Italian generation uh Marcagiani as well at that point Peruzzi was incredible I wonder what people would make of Peruzzi now because he was about 5'11 and he wasn't what you'd call slim athletic <laughs> yeah do you know a short um, Kevin Pressman shall we say yes literally literally um but but a phenomenal goalkeeper same with same with Paluca. Toldo, you mentioned, was he was incredibly good as well. Just unfortunate to be around at the same time as Buffon. It's a, it's a bit mad that the transfer fee paid for Buffon in 2001 remains like the third or fourth most expensive fee ever played for a goalkeeper, which, you know, we're, we're 22 years on from that, and it's still, it's still right up there, which will tell you how highly regarded he was. Uh, on on two footed today, I was looking back at that incredible Parma team that won the UEFA Cup in '99 with Turam and Cannavaro and Sensini as a back three, and Fuzer and uh, Dino Baggio and Juan Veron as three of the midfield five, and then Crespo and, and Chiesa up front. And it really did speak to just how incredibly good Serie A was back then that that team finished fourth in the league um phenomenal uh just seeing here john percy reporting that bournemouth are in advanced talks with bristol city over a 25 million pound deal for alex scott i think that would be an amazing signing for them if they could add him with Traore, plus maybe lewis cook sits in as the holding midfielder i think that's a really talented midfield three they still need a right back, though. Still going to have to get that one done. But there are there are a lot of clubs, Carl, doing smart business this summer, and then some clubs doing less smart business where they're overpaying significantly. But it's um, it's promising to be, I think, quite a competitive season. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot of uh, middle of the road teams who could still very much go either way in both in transfers and once it all gets started. But at the minute, it looked very, very clumped together. I also think there are still three or four teams down there at the bottom who need to get their skates on in the next three, four weeks. Oh, we didn't get to West Ham, but they're definitely one of those. Right, we will leave it there and we will be back 
in the coming days to go through the rest and maybe catch up on anything else that happens in the meantime. Carol, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, a little pre-season piece on Liverpool uh, on the Independent, but beyond that, just peel your ears and get them ready for lots more listening because I think we've got a lot of pods to do before the uh, actual action kicks off. Yeah, I do as well. And, and my lisp appears to have gotten better throughout this podcast, so that's that's nice for me, isn't it? Um, right, we will we will be back soon. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.